The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Participants in this podcast may also own the stocks discussed. For a full list of current recommendations and stocks owned by staff, members of Intelligent Investor can visit www.intelligentinvestor.com.au. Welcome to Stock Tech Q&A. My name's Gaurav Sodi. Joining me today is analyst Mickey Mordick. Hey, Mickey. Thanks, Gaurav. So, Mickey, just a reminder um, that we have two versions of Stock Tech. We have the regular Stock Tech, where we have three of us sitting down and talking in-depth and very seriously about stocks. And we have the Q&A version, where people send in questions, we answer them. Often, there'll be just two analysts. And um, I like to think this is a bit more casual mickey which is why you're dressed so appallingly today nice one <laughs> well i i didn't dress up like this um uh for the podcast um this is just my regular terrible outfit so. when, when you think about it, it's pretty strange to dress up for a podcast you'd have to be a, a particular kind of individual but uh, yet here you are <laughs> well I, went, I was gonna keep it a mystery but um a certain research director of ours does tend to dress up for podcasts even though there's not a camera in sight <laughs> All right, let's get into some questions. Um, a lot's been going on. One of the uh, one of the most consistent questions we've been getting concerns Westpac. Uh, we all know what's happened at Westpac has been um, pretty appalling, uh, pretty surprising, and we won't really comment on the ethics or the ESG of it. But just in terms of the share price, here we have Mickey, a large business that's um, that's well established, um, operates in an oligopoly and now is coming into a bit of misfortune. These sound like the sort of ingredients that we typically look for in a buy idea. Is is Westpac that yet? Yeah, I wonder. I mean, uh, it seems to be getting quite close to Nathan's buy price. I'm not sure if that means he'll actually end up upgrading it. But um, yeah, I mean, in terms of like, you know, things like this, these kinds of issues, um, banks tend to kind of run into these things on, on, on the regular, basically. So it seems like it's more of just a cost of doing business and it's just, um, you know, kind of lumpy, but maybe you should be incorporating these kinds of things into your overall assessment of what earnings are going to be because, you know, it seems like every couple of years they just get hit <laughs> out of nowhere with a new... Uh, you know, um, charge. So, and it's um, been happening overseas as well. The UK banks have been smashed with billions of pounds and of, of, of additional charges, and it's been, on, been gone, ongoing for about a decade. And I just wonder whether that experience isn't now translating here locally. That this could be um, a continuation of a trend that goes on for years mm. and years. Yeah. Well, I guess they're just easy targets as well. You know, no one really likes the banks, and it's kind of easy for. Um, Who doesn't like banks? <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, they're mm. such huge companies as well. You know, having the internal systems to actually avoid these kinds of issues must be an absolute nightmare. Yeah. And there's so much going on that you've got to assume there's just, you know, there's going to be stuff every year happening. Or maybe not every year, but, you know, there's always going to be some stuff lurking under the under the covers that you can't see from the surface. Now, nominally, nominally um, Westpac does look attractive. If you look at the yield, it, I think it's offering sort of, a, what is it, a 7% yield or so, something around there? Yeah. And you've got franking on top of that. So <clears throat> it looks attractive, but I would just caution that there is, there is a lot going on here. Um, Westpac now faces the prospect of um, higher capital charges from the regulator, the um, the regulator has, has already said that higher capital charges are likely. 
the New Zealand regulator is demanding more regulatory capital. And the more capital you have to keep aside, the lower your future returns will be. And the lower your future returns, the less cash you have to pay dividends with. I'm starting to wonder, actually, whether these dividends are going to be sustainable. And I'm of the view that they're probably not. Um, they're probably going to be another capital raising if they wish to sustain dividends, or they might they might turn dividends into a um, a share purchase plan. But I, I don't think this sort of yield looks sustainable to me if these requests for more capital actually happen. And the bank does itself no favours with, with these sort of ESG compliance problems that pop up. I think that just annoys the regulators and makes them push for their desired outcome um, more aggressively. But so, yeah, our official record on Westpac remains hold. It's, it's getting close to its buy apply, but, but I think Nathan will update everyone um, if, if it actually breaches or gets um, closer still. So keep an eye on Westpac and, and just be a bit sceptical about the raw numbers. I think they can be misleading a little bit. The other big um, piece of news we've been asked about is the Tyro IPO. Now, Tyro is a one of seemingly endless parade of payment companies that, that's looking to, to come to market. Um, the last payments company was Latitude, which is a payments company, but also a mm. sort of consumer finance business. Um, Tyro has been a lot more successful. Mick, have you been, have you been following this one? Oh, yeah, a little bit. And um, I think the gist, of it is, <laughs> the gist of it is probably that you can just about pay Absolutely. Anything for this company is a payments company. Yeah. So <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna, it seems to be the it seems to be um the feedback. There there are some big names attached to this. I think um Regal Funds Management are in there. There's a couple of high profile fundies already in there. And um um high profile individual backers. So the founder of Atlantean At- Atlantean. Atlassian, um yeah. I think he owns thirteen percent of this as well right. and, and yeah. he's gonna maintain that stake. So there are there are in the investment world, these are celebrities and they're bringing a really high-profile IPO mm. to market. For me, these are all cautionary tales. I don't I don't like to invest in big mm. celebrity stocks. I can I can kind of hear JG's uh, dissenting approval yes. from here already. A, but I, the I, ghost I, of JG <laughs> is nodding disapprovingly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I guess, you know, as value investors, you can kind of be pretty quick to dismiss these kinds of ideas. But... Um, you know, it's always worth having having a look and giving it. You know, paying its 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 dues. Um, and and kind of you never know what you might uncover. I guess. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that, Mickey, because I did actually have a little look at it, and um, I don't think we're going to write anything up because this is not really the sort of situation we're interested in getting people in into. It's it's a you know 1.2 billion dollar business earning not very much in terms of profit, um, although it's growing quite quickly. But it's an interesting concept, and I think. It's worthwhile keeping an eye on in case it has a problem down the track. So Tyro is a, um, as we said, it's a payments business. And what it does, it provides um, payment terminals and software for small business owners, or well, large business owners for that matter, to um, accept um, card payments. Uh, and that's actually quite a competitive space. All four big banks do that, and there are a whole host of third parties that do that. SmartPay out of New Zealand is um, one of the more high-profile hopefuls in that area as well. The difference with Tyro is that um, its technology is actually a bit more advanced. They um, accept a whole range of of more um, international payment options. So you can pay with Alipay and I think WePay as well, which you can't do with traditional payment means, and that makes it attractive to a whole host of uh, customers. But one of the big draw cards is that I understand this is one of the first technologies that allows the... um, 
the FPOS transaction to be linked to the point of sales transaction. Um, I don't know if anyone has worked retail, but when I was in university, I did. And at the end of every shift, I had to tally up all the receipts from the sales book and all the receipts from the FPOS book and just kind of cross-match them. That's an exercise that a lot of retail business owners go through manually or they have to have third-party software to deal with. Tyro actually integrates both those things together and that explains a big part of its appeal um, for the moment. So it, it does, it looks like it, it's built a better mousetrap and it, it looks like it's very well managed. It's backed by really smart money. It really should succeed. Has no, has no excuse not to succeed, but it looks as though it's priced for success as well in my view. So it's probably one that we'd watch from the sidelines and if something goes wrong, if there's some hiccup and... As we've seen, there almost always is. Then um, this is one that, that we'll keep an eye on. So sit tight. We're watching Tyro. Um, unlikely to write it up, but but we're watching it on the sidelines. Mickey, you love payments. Anything else to add? Even if it's just a spruik for your favorite <laughs> stock? <laughs> uh, no, there's uh, not not much to add there. Um, Surprised yeah. email didn't get a mention. Oh, I thought no. you may have slipped it in That's somewhere. That's right. I've, I think I've mentioned it enough you sh- on this podcast. You surely so. have. And yeah. in the office, you surely have, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um I'm hogging all the questions, but the, the other one that came through um, were a couple of requests for um, Caltex. Uh, so we actually, we've got a nice association with Caltex. You wouldn't, might not be aware of this, Mickey, but um, we recommended the stock back at about ooh, 14 or 15 maybe $16, um, when it was just a refinery business and no one really knew about the retail business. It then shut down its refinery and turned into a retailer and an importer of fuel and the share price doubled, and after it doubled, we um, we sold out around $37, $38. It's now got a new strategy in retail, and uh, you know we've, we've written before that that strategy isn't really working out. And so we sold and ceased, we ceased coverage of, of the stock, and we haven't really been covering it. And during that period, it's received a takeover offer. Um, the takeover offer is for, I think it's $32 a share. It's a, it's a very chunky premium to its um, old price. And management is engaging with um, the bidder, which is an operating business out of Canada that wants to actually um, keep the uh, operating sites and, and maybe expand or roll them up um, with other assets that they have. Um, to me, the bid looks really attractive. And if I was a shareholder, I'd be tempted to sell into the bid. But these, is, these are really good managers. And I think there's a chance of actually extracting a higher price out of the bid. So it's probably safe, a good idea just to hang tight. We have no plans to recommence coverage. To me, it looks like um, Caltex is going to be broken up and digested or sold wholly. So I think in a year from now, it's probably not going to exist in its current form. So it looks like it's the beginning of the end for Caltex. Um, and I don't think the sale price will come close to the price that we actually sold it for, which was um, you know, in the high 30s. So I think um, we've done pretty well out of this one. And it just shows that sometimes, you know, there's this mantra that you don't sell easily or sell often and, and sometimes prices do become attractive enough to sell and so we shouldn't forget that that selling at the right price is still the optimal strategy. Mickey we've got a question um, which seems tailored to you. Uh, someone is a member has asked about um, whether we've looked at water stocks. Um, I know you are interested in water stocks so you bought yeah. a couple to the Dragon's Den already uh, well, one, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you mentioned a couple already, um, and maybe you can talk about yeah. why water is attractive. 
Yeah, well, I, I'm not entirely sure how I ended up getting painted with this with yeah, this brush, I but Maybe I think I probably unfair. brought it on myself. Um, but yeah, the the only the only major one that we really kind of brought to the Dragon's Den was Webster, and I think um, at the time it was interesting. We were taking a look at the the water rights, which um, you know appeared to be getting overlooked within the the overall structure. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, obviously, you know, given the drought and given the pressure that we have on kind of fresh water supplies all around the world at the moment, you know, um, I forget the statistics, but I think it's something like 30% of the world is going to be short of fresh water. So it's about, you know, getting, getting, an, and obviously we need water, not just to drink it, but, you know, for industry and for agriculture and lots of different things. So it's a, quite a big problem. And now there's lots of companies that are popping up to hopefully solve that problem. Um, and so lots of, lots of technical, um, technology and lots of innovation needs to go into that area. Um, yeah, so there's a few ASX-listed companies. Um, there was... I kind of had a brief look at a few of them, and a few there weren't, there weren't that many that were kind of investment-grade, I would say. Um, you know, there's a few that own, um, you know, the actual water rights themselves, and, you know, perhaps some of those kind of can, can be quite attractive assets, um, you know, particularly as... Uh, you know, as um, the water becomes more sc scarce, uh, you know, having having access to the regular rights to to um, to access that water can be quite valuable. So. You you mentioned one to me where the specific business model was to buy and trade water rights. So was it Drake's or something? Uh, du Duxton du Water. Duxton Water. Yeah, so, that's yeah, right. Yeah. So yeah. The, it's kind that's of like a uh, listed investment company, right. but they they mostly focus on buying and selling water rights mm. um, and generating income from the water rights. It's uh, I guess it's a little bit controversial because they're they're taking these water rights and then they're you know renting them. Um, sorry, renting out the the water allocations uh, to farmers or whoever needs them, and they're generating income. But it's not clear if that's kind of how they were designed to operate in the yeah. first place. So my in my previous job, I used to price water. I was on the I was a model. Yep. 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 So there really, you, you should be model. taking these <laughs> questions. Yeah. So I used to price water, and um, we used to work pretty closely with the regulator and. They were very unhappy about people profiteering um, from the water trading system. It's supposed to be a way of allocating water, um, so users of water can can efficiently decide, you know, who should get in, where it should go. It's not really designed as a as a source of profit in its own mm. right. And yeah, I think if you if you're in the business of purely trading that for profit, um, I'm not convinced that there's a sustainable business doing that because mm. it will get crunched at some point i think yeah well i mean i, I just can't imagine like the regulator being okay with you know this a company cornering the fresh water market yeah. um you know because obviously it's it, you know we we it's it's pretty important uh resource and so you know if, if one company's just kind of um got control over that market that could be quite um, serious. So, uh, yeah, so I'm sure that, you know, they're all looking into it, but yeah, in terms of, in terms of what we found, um, you know, nothing, um, too interesting. I mean, it's, you know, but I think, um, you know, we'll talk about this before the podcast. It's kind of, um, you know, you probably don't want to be looking at taking a sector based approach or a top down approach generally to uncover ideas. Um, but you kind of, I, I suppose you want to be looking in areas where hopefully other people aren't and, or areas that might be getting overlooked or something or, you know, might be a bit beaten up. So, but, um, 
Yeah, seems yeah. like most people probably across that space now, by the sounds of it. Yeah, I mean, look, there are lots of ways to make money. I wouldn't say it's you know finding a theme and then trying to find stocks to fit that theme is an an always a, a lost cause. But I haven't really found that a way to to make money in the past, and it's not really the way we, as a team of analysts, operate here either. We we would rarely find a theme come up with a theme and then find stocks to suit that theme. It's sort of not really our style. But they can be useful in um, as a filtering or a search tool. So if you think a part of the market is undervalued or you think it's um, mispriced for some reason, you can you know look, look for stocks that fit that theme. But, but ultimately, the investment decision is really about price and value on mm. a particular business. Um, remember, these are... These aren't just bits of paper. You're, you're actually buying a business, so you really want yeah. to investigate that business really closely. Yeah. yeah, and like you don't, you don't ever need to go and go. I'm going to look at this sector. You can always just, you know, pick a pick a stock and have a look at it, and um, you know, probably gives you just as good a chance of finding something interesting. Really, so I think it, it can be easy to forget sometimes that as as a business, your source of profit is um, is really your competitor. Your competitor decides how much margin you have and mm. the amount of. Um, you know the the amount of competition. Don't forget the TAM. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, yeah. So for for those on the outside, um, the TAM is a total addressable market. And we're having a lot of in, inside jokes about how every stock is now talking about their TAM, even though it's completely irrelevant for a lot of businesses. Everyone's talking about their TAM. It's become a new valuation metric. Um, Nathan says price to TAM. Price to TAM. <laughs> TAM multiple. <laughs> yeah. Um, where was I? Oh yeah. Uh, so. The more capital that gets attracted to a sector, the more competition that gets attracted to a sector, the the lower your likely returns. So, you know, all, it, it can, although it's it's fun and exciting to be involved in these really sexy sectors, and and water, believe it or not, I think is a really hot sector. Um, often the profit potential is minimised just because there's so much competition or mm. capital attracted. Often I find it better to look at areas where there's not much capital going in or no one's really interested. I think those are areas yeah. where, where excess returns well, can I guess be one one example of that might have been um a while ago, uh, with the with mortgage brokers, for example, yeah. during the Royal Commission. That's and right. you could see that, that, you know, all of them sold off and now most of them have recovered quite strongly. So I guess if you can find areas where maybe you have a different view, um, to the market and um yeah. So I guess. So elegantly put. Yes, yeah, so <laughs> let's end it there. Okay. So, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Very nice. Um, okay. Uh, well, if you have questions, you can send them through our regular um, Q&A, which you can access on the website. Do you know exactly how to do that, Miggy? Yeah. So there's a um, Q&A button on the website. Right. And, of course there uh, is. And you click on that and uh, yeah. submit your question. So, <laughs> <laughs> all right. I'm going to leave it there. Miggy, thanks for your, um, your time today. All right. Thanks, Gaurav. For everyone else, thank you for listening.